0: welcome back to the project 24 blogging podcast this is episode 173 We have a full house here today. I feel like an announcer again, <laughs> like that uh, Income School video that I did the announcing for. Uh, but basically what I mean is Ricky and Nathan are here today, so it's, <laughs> it's going to be a great podcast. Uh, we have some great questions from some members, and the first one is from Sadie Smiley. And she says, I'm creating free workshops as lead magnets to get people into my membership. The tech is overwhelming me. What is the path of least resistance?
1: Yeah, this one is a little tough without a little more detail on what it is you're trying to do, but um, I'll give a little, some thoughts. If we're creating workshops, typically when I think of a workshop, I'm thinking of something that's like live. We're doing something together. And so you're probably wanting to use some sort of video software. Stick with something really simple that you know, like Zoom, Mm -hmm. right? Zoom works great. And then... You want to use that as a lead magnet. So everything that we can automate, let's automate. But of course, the tech needs to be as simple as possible. So if the lead magnet is, hey, you get to sign up for one of my workshops. Mm -hmm. Cool. Schedule when the workshops are going to be and then use a um, scheduling app. like I think there's Calendarly, which is calendar.ly. There's some others out there where you input what times these are going to be and how many spots there are, and people select which one, and, and they book it. It gets added to their calendar with the link. You put the, the Zoom link in the Calendarly app, and boom, they have it. And then you just do these workshops. If it's more like an asynchronous workshop, meaning like you pre record something and maybe provide them with some materials, then you don't even need the scheduling piece. Then what I'm probably doing is uh, filming the video. I would probably recommend hosting the video through a video hosting. We often, we use Wistia right now. Wistia is really pricey. There's, um, there's an option. It's a, you're asking me uh, about making the tech easy. (laughs) Bunny.net is like good, fast video hosting and way cheaper, but a little bit more technical (laughs) to set up. Um, And it works really great with Presto Player, which is an app or a plugin, sorry, um, for your word for a WordPress site um, that is like a video player. Um, I really like it. It allows you you can put your own branding into the video player, uh, do all sorts of stuff. So it's a really good video player. It and it uh, integrates with Bunny.net. There's a couple of videos on I think the Presto Player website that will show you how to do it. So it's a little bit more involved, but it's not that bad but it's way cheaper. It's really inexpensive video hosting. Um, And I would just do that and I would embed it on your site. And so the lead magnet that they'll get with the newsletter will be a link to go participate in the workshop. You can set them for certain times or whatever, um, but I think that's how I would do it. I mean, really it's as simple as that. Like either pre-record a video, uh, host that video somewhere um, and probably embed it on a page on the site. That's also, by the way, you don't want that page. I would no index that page. So it won't, it won't show up like in Google search. I wouldn't put it in your menu. Um, You don't necessarily have to password protect it, but you could give them the password in the email um, with the link. Or you could just, again, um, whatever SEO plugin you're using or whatever, just check the no index Mm -hmm. (laughs) for this page on, on your site. And then it won't show up and it will just be hidden for, uh, those people that have the link to it. Really, like, that's how I would do it. And then on that page, below the video, is, you know, kind of some sales content and a button to go purchase your membership. Yeah. yeah. So as they're watching it and they're like, you know what, this really is awesome. Cool, I'm going to buy the yeah. membership.
2: I do have one thing, quick thing to add before we move on to the next question. And maybe Sadie already knows this. It sounds like she has a membership. She's probably pretty tech savvy, but for those of you who are probably going to be using more tools in the future, maybe if you do hope to have a membership in the future or do other things, um, the tech can be really frustrating because there is never a perfect fit. Right. And I don't want to. I, I don't want it to sound like it's a bad thing. It, it can still work, but you're never going to find something that perfectly meets your needs. And so that can feel really overwhelming. That can make the tech feel really overwhelming because you may have a list of things that you really want it to do. But I would make sure that all of the things on that list are things that are just necessary. Because sometimes the list of wants and the list of needs, uh, they could be different. And you might end up finding what you need if you just go purely with your needs. So don't get too overwhelmed. Um, Just find a tool that works or that will cover as many of the needs um, as possible. And then you might have to find something that just works in the meantime. And then maybe do some more exploration for additional tools later.
1: The, the tools and the technology piece, yeah, it, it gets really frustrating when you're trying to do something beyond just content right. on your blog um, for that very reason. Uh, one of the reasons why is because these tools are almost always completely created by a developer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that developer has a developer brain, right, which is very great at <laughs> developing but oftentimes when it comes to user function um it's it's not um and there'll be features that you're like why does this not have this and it's because that's not what the developer was worried about yeah um there's this is going to feel like a plug there's not i don't have any sort of financial relationship with him but adam prizer he's the guy behind wp crafter um if you check out his channel
2: nice guy by the way
1: super nice Brains. guy he is not a developer. He is a WordPress user. His whole concept is like WordPress for non-techies, right? right. He has been working with teams to develop different plugins and stuff um, for a little while now based upon what he wishes the tools were. Right. So like you think, oh, I want to sell stuff on my blog, WooCommerce. But you try to use WooCommerce and you're like, this software is awful. You need like 30 different add-ons that are not free. And by the way, they were all created by different developers because it's open source and none of them work with each other, Mm. which is like a problem like we literally currently have. And Adam's like, this is stupid. And so he spent the last couple of years working with developers to create a new one that does it how he would want it done. Um, It's currently in beta phase. It's called SureCart. And um, like, I'm excited to try it out. I just got, um, I just got, added to the beta group so I can try it out because nice. <laughs> I like want to use this thing because I think WooCommerce is a pain in the rear end. So uh, anyway, when it comes to technology, that's sometimes why that problem is there. So yes, if we can start out with the needs list, find the tool that does that, and then fill in the wants based upon what the tools can do, <laughs> right. maybe, maybe that's where we go. Oftentimes the wants will require custom development.
0: Awesome. All right. On to the next question from Matt Bram or Matt Bram. Let me know. Anyway, the question is, I'm in the process of building out a new website uh, with 200 articles. When it comes to mass producing content, what's your interlinking strategy? I'm creating new SOPs for my team for a system I think works, but I'm interested to hear what Income School is doing.
2: I would like to answer this one. Go ahead. Um, So what we're currently doing, I would say, is not as super organized as it should be. But I was at a blogging conference about a month ago, and we actually talked about this very thing, an interlinking strategy for mass content production. And there were a couple of really great ideas uh, that I thought were fantastic that I would like to implement uh, with my own websites and with the websites here. So basically, here's a very simple breakdown of what the thoughts were. So it starts off with a search analysis. When you're doing search analysis, do it in topical groups. And so do your search analysis so that, you know, if I have whatever, uh, a phishing website, and I'm going to talk first about lures, and I'm going to say, okay, first, I'm going to do all my search an- analysis about lures. That way, when the writers go write the articles, all of these articles that could be t- potentially interlinked, they're all being written at the same time. So the writers write them, they're sent off to the editors. When the editors see the articles, they can then go in, and this is again just the system that this one person is using that seemed to work well, the editors would go in and add the interlinks. Um, they didn't put it on the writers uh, yet, they put it on the editors to go add a few links to each article. And then as the articles came through, you know, as the batch progresses, you're going to have more and more articles to interlink to. Now, at the beginning, of course, you won't have as many. Maybe there will be only one or two. There might even be none at the beginning. Um, But as you go on, there will be more to interlink to. And then at the end of every month, they had one editor go through and just pick up the slack. So any of the articles from the beginning of the month that didn't have, there was nothing to interlink to in that topic yet, they would just go take those, whatever, 5 or 10 or 15, maybe 50 articles even, and they'd just have them interlink to those that are now published now that it's the end of the month. And they would just kind of continue that process. So they used very systematic, um, topical uh, search analysis, have the writers write it, send it to the editors. Editors would do some preliminary interlinking, and then at the end of the month, they would wrap it all up so that by the end of the month, everything was interlinked, and then you didn't have to go back and touch it at all. Anyway, that seemed to work really well for them.
1: Yeah, that's right along with kind of what I would want to do ideally so as i'm working on search analysis for the new blogging system um it's not dramatically different from before but the minor differences i think are going to make a huge difference um and that is when we even first start a blog so i'm not talking mass production i'm talking like i'm starting a blog i'm going to do some search analysis for my first 30 blog posts for the first 30 blog posts we're only going to pick three categories at most right like we, we need to stay a little bit more focused because in order to build topical authority, you need to have multiple articles in the same category on similar topics. And also, <laughs> we are learning that this is important for getting approved for Google yeah. ads yep. as well, which is important no matter what. If you're going to work with the Zoic, Mediavine, AdThrive, um, all of them are going to require Google's approval because Google provides most of the ads for everyone and this podcast
2: is coming out on the day where we're talking about this very topic in a youtube video so (laughs) go see that so there you go
1: yeah make sure you go watch that but but basically we just found out that google wants they this number just like pull it out of a hat Mm -hmm. seven Mm -hmm. they want usually at least seven articles in every category that you have listed on your site Mm. well okay cool we would need at least seven well i'm telling you start with ten um That's cool. That's going to help you from an ad standpoint. It's going to help you from a topical authority standpoint. Why do they want at least that many in a category? Maybe because that helps with the content quality as it ties together. Mm -hmm. You have to build topical authority. Your site's going to be more successful that way. And so if we do our search analysis topically, those 10 articles aren't going to be your only articles on that topic for your website, but they can interlink together and In theory, they're probably going to be, because you did that search analysis at once, they're probably going to be kind of clustered as well. Um, And then when you come back to that category in the future, you might interlink between your old articles and new ones that you add to that list. But it could also be that like, hey, we're going to do lures again, but these are kind of on a different aspect of lures. Um, Like fishing with lures versus uh, like technique versus what lures to pick, you know? Like Mm -hmm. it's a slightly different Mm -hmm. cluster even if it's the same category. And so the interlinking will be kind of more tied to that. Anyway, I think with the new search analysis and the way I'm kind of adapting and adjusting the search analysis tool now, it's gonna make a little bit more sense uh, to, essentially what I want is not only to end up with a hit list but then to end up with a list of, this is a list of every blog post published on my website Here's the category that they're in. Maybe here's even a sub, I'll I'll call it more of a cluster, but kind of a a grouping within the category. So I have this all organized on my spreadsheet and I can sort that way. And then it's like, oh, well, these five articles go together. I can add my links. And so even if I write a new article in the future that gets added to that group, I can see, oh, these are the other six articles. I better go make sure that I add these links. Yeah. So that makes sense even if we're not talking mass production. Yeah. I think we need to stay a little bit more organized. When we just throw a whole bunch of spaghetti at the wall, like let's take the niche and just make 100 articles on a whole bunch of different topics. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really hard to have that sort of organization. I think that's what we need.
2: And one more quick plug for interlinking. I just wrote an article about a month ago and interlinked it to another article that's performing well on my website. And guess what? The new article is ranking now and... I don't think it would have otherwise. So quick plug for interlinking there. It works. I love to see it. It Totally does. You know, we talk about it all the time. It's one of those things. It's a great optimization, but it's really cool to see it when it just happens over and over again. Totally.
0: Perfect. Okay, next question is from Schrott, and he says, Blogging is my main source of income, but I'm a bit scared about the income being eroded away due to third-party cookies next year. What advice would you give to full-time income members to deal with third-party cookie issues? Also, since most of my sites are still heavily dependent on ads, is it even a good idea to invest in new sites, opportunities that I would have otherwise considered ripe? Or should I focus my efforts in building other streams of revenue and traffic, like building a YouTube tribe and selling info products and courses? He also says, "I have my deepest appreciation for Income School for what you've enabled me to do financially in my life." Thanks again to all the Income School team members.
1: You are welcome. Yeah, that's <laughs> nice. Thank, Thank you. A um, couple thoughts that I have about third-party cookies. The first is that the ben, like the use of third-party cookies, has actually already been decreasing yeah um so for user people who use safari it's already not there we're gonna we're chrome is gonna stop using third-party cookies um and the way i understand it is that they're going to be required to legally so that's kind of the driver behind this but also just in general moving toward privacy apple's pretty early on that train hence why iphone users like every app that wants to track me across other apps my iPhone's like, hey, this app wants to track your use across other apps. Do you want to allow it? Right. And I say, no. no. <laughs> and Facebook was all up in arms about it. Why? Because, you know, Facebook wants all the data they can get. Yeah. Now, Facebook still will have really targeted ads. Why? Because they have a ton of first-party data. They are gathering data about every user. And so their ads are still going to be very targeted. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's what here's what we're seeing. I know... Um, Mediavine is working on some ways to use first-party data across their platform. So if somebody uses another Mediavine member's website, some data can be collected, sent back to Mediavine, and that can help put ads that are more targeted on your website for that user if they come to your site. And so the more people using that platform... The uh, the I guess the more benefit you yeah. get. Um, I think we're going to see more and more solutions like that where essentially the platform that you're using is collecting first party data, not it's not the browser. So, right now, Google Chrome is collecting tons of cookie data and feeding that to the algorithm, and so the Google ads are very, very much more targeted. But I think we're going to see a lot more of those kinds of solutions, and so I don't think in that sense, it's going to make necessarily a massive difference. Um, the other thing is to some extent, advertisers are going to now have to start making decisions about ad placement based upon content, not just user info. So that's already part of the decision, right? right. So if, you know, my some people's websites earn a lot more from ads than others. It's not just because, of the users on that website. It's all the content attracts those users. And so now instead of basing the decision on, okay, this user is worth a lot. The decision will be based on, okay, this site is worth a lot, right? This article is worth a lot. And so, and so the, the bidding process is going to change a little bit, but what that means is those of us creating good, high quality content, we're still going to make more money from ads than people who create low quality right. content. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is I'm just not that worried. And I don't think there's really much we need to do. And by not much, I mean really anything. Um, and if, as this happens, it turns out that there are things we need to do, we probably won't know it until then. Um, mm. It's one of those things you kind of have to experience. It, it has to happen for us to see what the real impact's going to yeah. be. But advertisers aren't going to stop advertising. Mm-hmm. Their advertising budgets aren't going to suddenly decrease a ton. It's not like they're going to go back to radio and TV ads. Right. Um, The internet (laughs) is still the best place to go. I do think that Facebook and YouTube ads are going to be be extremely valuable because of all the first party data. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, YouTube knows exactly what videos the users watch. You're logged in Mm -hmm. when you watch them. And so they know what to target you with. Facebook, same thing. Um, On websites, less of that. So I think we're actually going to start seeing more of that. On websites, so anyway, if there's something we need to do about it, we'll we'll figure that out. But um, until then, I don't think it's actually going to eat away nearly as much revenue as some people are really worried about. I think
2: that's a good question about the buying uh, new sites right now. Yes, I think that's a really good question. Um, I think it just really depends on your how risk averse you are. Um, is there a risk? Well, yeah, because there's going to be a change, and we kind of know there's a change. We're not sure what the what it's exactly going to look like. But we know there will be a change. Now, that being said, I do also think that since there are people who are really worried about it, there might be some purchase opportunities as it gets closer. There might be people who are maybe trying to exit the industry because they are worried about some sort of crash, which we don't think is going to happen. But there might be some really good buying opportunities in the future because of that. And so overall, I would say... I wouldn't stop buying a website. In fact, I just personally did buy a website um, (laughs) that, you know, if I buy it at a 30 or 40 X multiple, it's definitely not going to pay itself off by the time third party cookies go away. So I'm not, I wouldn't change my behavior based on this because I still think that there's going to be a viable, many viable ways to make money. So anyway,
1: and along the lines of that question, should we look at diversifying revenue streams and stuff like that? Um, if you're solidly working in the blogging space and it's working really well and you really are mostly focused on one or two websites, I think if I were wanting to diversify, I would start by diversifying revenue before I would diversify content. So before I would go start a YouTube channel, which is a whole nother thing, like it's it's a big project, it's a new skill set, I think I would create an info product um (laughs) that's what i would do Uh, and that's not going to be at all dependent upon third-party cookies so if if you can create a revenue stream that's consistent through you know through that through selling your own info Mm -hmm. product Mm -hmm. then this is just not going to be a big right concern when that happens but if you have a couple other websites you're looking to start or buy or whatever that you see as really ripe opportunities i wouldn't hold back yeah um So I guess it just depends in that case. How ripe are they and will they be just as ripe a year from now or six months or three months from now if you took a little bit of time first to create and market an info product?
0: All right, great. Okay, Mm -hmm. so the last question is uh, from Matt Bram again. And he says, one of my websites just hit the 112K page view mark. I've put off monetizing beyond ads in Amazon. After watching the Income School video, I want to dive into making an email list. What email list software do you recommend today? Uh, it used to be Send in Blue, but is that the same recommendation in 2022?
1: So right now, we are using ConvertKit. ConvertKit works great. Um, the real reason we switched to ConvertKit was because it integrates really well with MemberPress. Um MemberPress did not have an integration with Sendinblue. We had to use Zapier and it wasn't as good. Um, With Sendinblue, we can update, or sorry, with ConvertKit, we can update tags for individual subscribers to the email list based upon their current status with Project 24. So we can have an always up-to-date list of an email list of Project 24 members. So our newsletter is up-to-date. Um, that's the reason we did it. It costs more, um, send in blue can do all of the things other than that, that I use ConvertKit for yeah. what I haven't done in a while though, is I haven't looked at the pricing on send in blue. So it was a newer service when we were using it. It was a lot less expensive than most. And I don't know if that's still the case. So I would look at the pricing between the two. They're both awesome. Really, there's a couple things that I want to be able to do. Um, And that is that I want to be able to obviously just send an email. A broadcast is what they call that on on ConvertKit. But I want to just be able to take a list or a segment of my list and send a broadcast. Mm -hmm. I also want to be able to create automations where depending upon certain actions that take place, it could be a certain amount of time passes. That's like a drip campaign, you know somebody signs up for the email, boom, they immediately get their first welcome email and maybe the lead magnet or whatever. And then maybe three days later, they get a follow-up email and then they kind of get dripped onto a monthly campaign that you just kind of keep up to date. Um, And then you send out periodic broadcasts or whatever. I want to be able to do that. The next thing I want to be able to do is, I've mentioned this sort of already, but I want to be able to segment my list, meaning I need to be able to create and add tags to different people. Um, So if I create a sign-up sheet that I use in certain blog posts on my site that is for maybe one category, so on income school, like maybe on articles about SEO, I have one sign-up sheet. But on other articles that are about, um, you know, creating a YouTube channel or whatever, I have a sign-up sheet. Maybe it looks the same, but it's actually a different sign-up form. And the people who sign up through that form get tagged with a different tag. So then when I want to send out emails, I can send out emails that are more directed toward the topic of interest of the person that signed up. If it turns out over time, someone signs up through both, they will get listed as one subscriber and they'll just end up with both tags and cool. They're going to get both sets of emails. So I really, that's really what I want to be able to do. I want to be able to tag users um, based upon, where they signed up or whatever else. Um, By the way, that's how we handle the Project 24 member thing. Mm -hmm. There's a tag that gets applied to you when you become a member of Project 24. And if you leave, that tag is removed. So Mm -hmm. you don't get the newsletter anymore (laughs) if you're not a member, that's fine. Um, Yeah, tagging, uh, uh, send an email. They can all do that. And automations. Mm -hmm. Uh, If send in blue... I know that Sendinblue can do those things. So if Sendinblue is still substantially less expensive mm-hmm. per email or per user or whatever, then I think it's a fantastic use, uh fantastic
2: product. Yeah, I think that right now they have a free option, very limited free option. They do, and I think ConvertKit does too. And I think that, yeah, I think that's pretty, I think it's typical kind of with email lists. And then there's probably, I think with the next one, I just looked a couple of days ago, and I think Sendinblue was somewhere between $20 and $35 a month for their next plan. So yeah. I think, you know, the more activity that's happening on your email list the price will grow up go up and so you know also additional functionality but i think right. both have been really good options for us just totally. aside from the connection to member press for right. send in blue so um and i've heard great things uh just in one of our masterminds that we did the other day i heard of someone who's using send in blue who loves it and someone who's yeah. also using ConvertKit. kit and there's other options out there too um, oh, just totally. to see what just have to find out what works for you
0: yeah. yeah, And for everyone who's listening out there, uh, if you haven't used any of these uh, yet, they are just a little bit of a learning curve yeah. just to be able to do like the tags yeah. and the sequences mm-hmm. and all of that. If you want to, you, there's a lot you can do or you uh-huh. can do, make it very simple. Yep, right. So just keep that in mind. And it may seem a, just a little bit overwhelming at first because I know when I learned them, they were. But once you get it, you get it. Mm-hmm. It's just like yeah. editing or something like that. It's
1: funny, like in ConvertKit, I remember like you can set up automations that are very basic, right? It's like someone signs up that triggers and it's like the action is wait five seconds and then send this email and then you assign what email gets sent. Right. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, wait one day, send the next drip. Mm -hmm. Like you just put the wait thing in there and then send an email and then wait and then send it, you know, Mm -hmm. that's very simple. But then, um, Nate used to create email campaigns in previous work. And I saw some of the automations he put together and it looks like this huge decision tree. And I'm like, Holy (laughs) cow. So like I might've created five different automations. He put it all into one where multiple signup sheets are feeding into the same thing. So maybe they get, they get the same welcome email, but then based upon which one they got, there's a different wait time and then there's Mm -hmm. different emails that go out. And I was like, okay, cool. Like you can get sophisticated. You don't have to just start basic. Um, and yes, they all have, like everyone I've ever used has a free option to get started. Yeah. Um, the cost will go up as you, and since, and the cost will go up based upon the number of people usually, and, or the number of emails that you send. Mm-hmm. And so, um, the number of emails you send gets, grows really fast as people join your list. And just because you send the email doesn't mean people get it and read it, right? right. So, um, something that I know both of these have is you can see over time users that haven't opened an email in six months or three months or whatever, mm-hmm. delete them from your list. You're paying to keep that person on your list. They are not a valuable contact. Yeah.
0: Good point. Yeah. So
1: get them off your list. Yeah, It's really good practice to clean up your email list as you go. It'll save you a bunch of money, but also like, yeah, they're of no value to you. Yep. Yeah.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, those were all the questions we had for today. Thank you so much. Did you guys have anything else before we headed off today?
1: Just you guys are awesome. Um, (laughs) I love that you listen to what we have to say. Um, And uh, just appreciate all of you.
2: Go write a blog post. Yep. That's right.
0: <laughs> oh, I did have one more little announcement uh, just really quickly. There is the um, mastermind that is going to be happening in person in Wisconsin this summer. Oh yeah. In uh, July and Amy Uh, The member who is putting that together just wanted me to put out one little more, one reminder um, for you all that maybe didn't get a chance to sign up. If you still do want to sign up, there are some more spots available for that. So contact her in the community. And so that will just be an informal uh, meetup that is put on by a member. It's not sanctioned by us, but of course we do support these get togethers. So uh, do contact her or you can contact me and I will put you in touch with her if you would like to uh, join that.
1: Perfect. Um and I forgot I do have one more announcement. Yeah. Um and that is that there's a virtual like event coming up in the next couple weeks. Um June 7th through 9th. I'm I'm double checking those dates. I think that's right. June 7th through 9th. This is um the event is called Building Empires. To sign up it's building.empires.live. Um, but basically what this is is uh, several people, myself included, are putting together our presentations that we're going to be giving, uh, but it will be virtual. You watch it, um, and then we'll have uh, each day of that event, there will be during the day a Q&A panel with the people that spoke that day. So we'll be taking questions like live, like a, a live stream. Um, anyway, should be cool. I This is actually a concept that Jim and I thought of like three or four years ago, and we just... Again, it was like one of those things we never pulled the trigger on, but it was it's something we wanted to do, and that is to get people together that influence in this space um, and share, like awesome. collaborate together. There are things we can learn from each other. Um, in general, like if you're in the middle of creating your blog, following Project 24, like don't deviate. <laughs> yeah. But there are still going to be tidbits and, and really cool things we can learn. Um, there was just the, uh, affiliate gathering expo in England and, um, the presentation that, uh, um, Alex from WP Eagle gave, he, he talked a lot about just like, um, kind of what we get out of doing this, out of blogging and stuff and how, um, you know, for some people it really may be like, I want to get really wealthy. I want to make a bunch of money and then I want to like retire and travel the world. But, um, he said it, that doesn't have to be your goal. And for him, it's, it's been a lot more about the life that it allows him to lead, mm-hmm. even if it's just a fairly regular income. Yeah. Um, you can achieve, like like we talk about, a full-time income with like one almost totally passive blog. right? Mm-hmm. And then you can just, like he moved to Spain.
0: That's awesome. So that
1: he could live like a more outdoor lifestyle. He's much more social um, and he just is loving life. Because, and it's not about like making the most money or living in like a big villa or anything. Mm. It's just like-
0: (laughs) The Lamborghini. Yeah, it's not about the Lambo, you know, it's like- (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. (laughs) um,
1: Which is fine. Like if it's about the Lambo for you, that's great. Work for the Lamborghini. But um, it was just really neat to hear from him. It wasn't wasn't that like he was going to say something that was going to necessarily change the way you create your blog. But it was just really, I think, nice to hear- Someone frame something in a little bit different way than maybe you're used to hearing, um, and we're gonna get that. We're gonna hear from really great people. Miles um, Beckler, he's speaking there, um, and several others that you've you've probably heard of. So uh, anyway, should be a great event. It's totally free. You can go to their site, uh, building.empires.live to register so that you get the information. You can actually watch the presentations. Um, but yeah, it's totally free, and uh, should be a cool thing. I think they're gonna try to do it a couple times a year. So.
0: Sounds like a great opportunity yeah. if you can make it. Yep. Sounds like fun. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining the Project 24 blogging podcast and have a wonderful rest of your day.